37 minutes past 2 o'clock on KDKA. I've been really, really excited about having an opportunity to talk and learn about this subject with our next guest. I want to welcome into the program a young lady by the name of Maria Maza who is joining us. She is a graduate student in Dr. Eva Tesler's lab at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And that lab has recently had some of its work published in the Journal of American Medical Association Pediatrics. And it is the uh, a study that is looking at uh, how exactly does the brain function change? And is there a correlation as it relates to social media use over a period of years? Maria, it is wonderful to have you here. Welcome to KDKA in, in, in gloomy and overcast Pittsburgh. How are things in Chapel Hill today? They're great. They're also a little gloomy, but I really appreciate getting the opportunity to be invited onto your show. Well, this is an amazing, amazing study because, you know, I think it's important to point out at the very beginning of this, the the mentor in your lab has said, you know, let's let's acknowledge that there are some important limitations that because adolescence is a time when kids are making many, many friends and expanding sort of their knowledge and their circle, that the brain differences could simply be a matter of, you know, they're gravitating toward peers. It doesn't necessarily have to correlate with social media usage. Is that, am I saying that appropriately? Did I, did I capture sort of what Eva was saying? You're right. So adolescence is a really unique um, developmental period where there's a lot of changes that teens experience within their brains and their bodies that help prepare them in, uh, in for the transition into adulthood. And one of the changes is that they start seeking out more in social interactions, particularly with their peers. So now, what... the unique thing about media platforms um, is that they allow teens to have this constant access to social feedback whenever they want to. Right. You know, at any point they can open up an app and, and be able to see all sorts of social information, which is rewarding, which is what we're trying to capture within our research. But you're absolutely right. We cannot draw um, causal inferences based on on these associations that we found. So what you've been doing is basically looking at successive, if I understand it correctly, brain scans, looking at kids between the ages of 12 and 15, which is a time when obviously there's a lot of brain development that's going on. And in essence, what I understand you found is that those who were habitually checking social media feeds showed a very distinct trajectory and and that as a result, they were looking for more social rewards from peers and that that seemed to go up and up and up. How did you do that? Give us an idea from a methodology standpoint. How did you go about drawing that inference? Yeah, so basically we brought in some teen participants um, and we asked them to tell us how often they checked different social media platforms, um, which happened to be popular when we collected the study, which was in 2018. Um, And then um, every single year for a period of three years, we had them complete a brain scan. And while they were in the scanner, they played a computer game in which they anticipated and then received social feedback. So they were shown a picture of a smiling peer and a picture of a frowning peer, for example. And we were able to see what brain regions are activated in response to getting social feedback from their peers as a result. I think it's fascinating that you basically break these kids out, and they came from rural North Carolina. You broke them out into what you're terming habitual users, that you're talking about those people who were moderate users and non-habitual users. Help us to understand, what do those three terms mean in terms of your research? 
Right. So we basically broke them up into three quite even distributions of groups. And we found that there was a group of um, adolescents who checked very, very few times, basically not more than once per day. So sometimes they weren't even checking social media every day. Mm -hmm. And those were the non-habitual checkers. The moderate checkers were individuals who checked anywhere between one to around 14 times per day. And the habitual checkers were those who were checking 15 or more times per day. That's a staggering, staggering number. And yet at the same time, I know that it's not just kids who were doing that. I know a lot of adults who are in the exact same. When you consider that those social media platforms might be your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, TikTok, mm-hmm. et cetera, right? I mean, by the time you check each one of those, you know, there's four different <laughs> ones. You do it four times. You're at 15, right? I mean, you're there yep. in, in that in that regard. So it's not a matter mm-hmm. of checking your Instagram 15 times a day. It's just any social media platform, correct? Exactly. Got it. So after you've been through this and after you've gone through the process from 2018 and you worked through this over a period of three years, what were your conclusions? What did you find? Yeah, so we found that teens who checked social media more often, so who were checking habitually, saw an increase in their sensitivity to expected social feedback over time. In other words, it seemed that these teens were becoming more attuned to social feedback. However, teens who didn't check as often were becoming less sensitive to the same social feedback over time. Now, a really important question to ask ourselves or that that has come up a lot is whether these changes are good or bad. And the answer is that we can't answer that with the current study that we um, conducted. The increasing sensitivity that we're seeing in teens who are checking social media more often could potentially be negative when it prompts future compulsive social media checking behaviors. However, it could also be an adaptive change that is going to help them navigate social interactions, Mm -hmm. particularly digital social interactions, in a world that's increasingly becoming more and more digital. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. So there could be a positive side to it, whereas the old-timers may be saying, well, this is all horrible, it doesn't make any sense. But for them, it doesn't make any sense. For the young people that their world is digital, it may make perfect sense. That's sort of what I hear you saying. Absolutely. And we just need to do more research to determine how these maybe differences could be impacting kids' social and emotional outcomes later on. So as we wrap things up with Maria Maza here from the University of North Carolina, one of the co-authors of this study that we're talking about, what do you do next? I mean, how do you follow up? Are, are there things that have sort of been consensus within the lab and within this study group that says, hey, we really need to look at this? Or are there two or three different things that could lead to a multitude of different studies? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the a very clear um, suggestions that we got from this paper is that we need to start exploring how digital media and social media might be impacting kids starting from an earlier age. You know, at the beginning of the study, we, we worked with 12-year-olds, and we found that there were already differences within how their brains were processing that may or may not be due to um, 
social media use before the, the study was collected. So we want to try to do this experiment again, but starting from like third and fourth graders to see how they are um, behaving and how their brain trajectories look before they even start using digital media. And then once they start to be able to better capture these differences. It also seems to me that you could do another one that is, is a child an introvert or an extrovert? And does that impact what it is in terms of, you know, are they going to be a habitual user as opposed to a non-habitual based on just their inclination to other people, right? I mean, you could look at that. Absolutely. There's so, so many other factors that might impact brain development trajectories. Um, and so we, it's important to look at them as a bigger scale and how they function with social media at the same time. Well, Maria, I don't want you to look at brain trajectory of radio talk show hosts because I'm afraid of what that might end up leading to. But I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the research that you all have done and your ability to come on and, and share that with us here in Pittsburgh. Thank you very, very much for, uh, for your insight and for your articulate way of, of going through this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great stuff from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Go Heels. Boy, what an amazing, amazing piece of research that is.